You are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m., Tuesday, January 10th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Today was a good day to stay put, but the California Report ventured out on the Central Coast to bring you a word picture of damage from our deadly storms. After regional news and the weather forecast, KVMR's Paul Emery talks to economist Gary Zimmerman about what makes a recipe for a recession. Is there one on the menu for 2023? We end with Mark Cuneberti's Money Matters commentary. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. Over 200,000 Californians are without power as the state continues to get pummeled with rain, thunderstorms, and flooding. In the Bay Area and San Joaquin Valley, thunderstorms added to the heavy rain and strong windstorms overnight. In San Luis Obispo County, the National Weather Service put out a flood watch through 11 a.m. this morning with expected rainfall between 4 to 8 inches in the foothill areas. And down the 101 Highway in Santa Barbara County, the entire town of Montecito, home to celebrities like Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah Winfrey, is under evacuation orders. Here's Montecito Fire Chief Kevin Taylor yesterday warning residents to heed the evacuation warnings. In less than 12 hours, we've received more than 8 inches of rain, with 7 to 8 inches still forecast to fall. And the watershed is behaving unpredictably, according to our firefighters on the ground. Please heed this evacuation warning now. Don't wait. My California Report co-host Saul Gonzalez went down there. Hey, Saul. Hey, Maddie. Where exactly are you? So I'm uh, parked off of the 101 freeway trying to make my way into the Santa Barbara area. Right now, it's really hard to do that because the 101 is closed. And it's also closed from the north into Santa Barbara uh, from that side of the coast. So these, this is an example of the conditions that um, drivers are facing this morning. And I got to say, just on the drive up here, I mean, conditions were really, really hazardous on the roads and the freeways with a, a little bit of light rain, but a whole lot of heavy rains almost all the way up. What's the situation in Montecito and the rest of the Santa Barbara Central Coast right now? Well, in Montecito specifically, which is a a community of more than 8,500 people, it's been evacuated. I mean, people have been told to leave that community because of the threat of mud flows and and landslides and just the severe rains and the swellings of rivers and creeks. Uh, Beyond that, in the greater Santa Barbara and Ventura County areas, people have been ordered or asked to shelter in place, basically stay home and not venture out. Authorities are saying in these conditions, it's just safer to stay where you are rather rather than trying to get from someplace else. Uh, beyond that, the Santa Barbara airport is closed today. Schools in the area are closed today. Um, and again, just a lot of highway and road roadblocks in so many different places. And then to the north of Santa Barbara, Mati, you have very similar conditions. I mean, very hazardous conditions in San Luis Obispo and in Paso Robles. And it was, and it's in Paso Robles that we have reports of a five-year-old uh, who was traveling in a vehicle with his mother who was trapped and swept away in floodwaters. And as of this morning, he has not been found. Wow. And what about this area makes it so vulnerable to flooding? 
well, what makes it vulnerable to flooding is 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 also what makes it really beautiful, right? I mean, this is a part of the state where you get really steep mountains and hillsides that meet the ocean, and that looks great when it's dry, but when conditions get really rainy and really stormy, uh, those mountains and those hillsides become pathways for mudslides and flooding. And on the coast, you have all, just a, a lot of communities, a lot of residences, and um, that what that's what makes this part of California, like like other parts along the coast, so dangerous during heavy rainstorms. Is there any other reason why people should be concerned about the flooding in this area? Well, you know, just uh, the past, really. I mean, five years ago this week, uh, Montecito experienced one, you know, probably the greatest natural catastrophe in its history in conditions very similar to what we've seen this this week, really heavy rains, um, hillsides and, and mountainsides collapsed, uh, the ground just couldn't absorb any more water, and you had just massive mud flows and flooding right into the city of Montecito. That disaster, which again, Five years ago, this very week, killed 23 people. It injured more than 100 others. A lot of properties were just, I mean, were just inundated with mud. And so people, that's what's on a lot of people's minds, probably in the Montecito area, in the Santa Barbara County area, as they confront the the storms this week. And what should people do to stay safe and dry while this is all going on? Yeah, well, take some personal advice, having been on the roads and freeways, don't go out unless you absolutely have to. I mean, if you can, and this, I think, you know, in my part of California, where I happen to be right now, I think you can use the same advice for so many other places. Unless you absolutely have to be out for your job or whatever, do stay home. This is a day where you really don't want to take a trip, uh, a surface trip, unless you absolutely have to. All right. Thanks so much, Saul. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com slash CA. Guideline. The California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Throughout L.A. County, newly elected politicians are scrambling to staff their offices. KPCC's Josie Huang reported on an effort to get them to hire more Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. AAPIs make up about 16 percent of L.A. County, but that's not reflected in county or city leadership. We hope that ultimately we get more AAPI elected officials. That's Wang Nguyen, who used to work for County Supervisor Hilda Solis. But until then, we at least want to see diverse staff. He says AAPI staffers were the ones who raised the issue of anti-Asian hate with Solis early in the pandemic. Wynn is now hoping to get more AAPIs hired through a database of job candidates he's helped create for a coalition of about 40 AAPI groups. Working with him is Candace Cho, who used to serve in New York City government. She says political jobs are often filled by word of mouth. And so if you don't have AAPIs who are ready in government, you might not reach those talented AAPIs you want to serve. She encouraged candidates to upload their resumes to the database, which will be shared with elected officials. For The California Report, I'm Josie Huang. And that's The California Report for Tuesday, January 10th. 
We're a production of KQED Public Radio. For continued coverage of the storms, tune in to your local public radio stations. And remember, you can get all your statewide news on the California Report podcast. Subscribe and download the show wherever you get your podcasts and listen to our show anytime you'd like. You can also ask your smart speaker to play the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, KVMR learns courtesy of Ubinet.com that at its meeting this morning, the Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously elected Ed Schofield as its chairman. Hardy Bullock was elected vice chair also unanimously. And in Grass Valley Municipal News, the Union newspaper reports that at the city council meeting tonight, Justin Gross will be nominated to the planning commission by new council member Haven Caravelli. Gross, a Nevada Union graduate, is a real estate broker and voiceover actor. City Council policy allows each council member to submit a candidate for the planning commission to the council for its approval. Turning to the regional forecast, the National Weather Service is continuing a flood watch through Wednesday afternoon for parts of Northern California, including the Sierra foothills, due to thunderstorms and moderate to heavy rain. Earlier today, Interstate 80 was closed between Colfax and the Nevada state line due to high winds and whiteout conditions. State Route 20 was closed to eastbound traffic from Nevada City to the junction of Interstate 80 due to snow. As the storms roll in, check the road conditions before you travel. In Nevada City and Grass Valley tonight, showers and possible heavy rain with a low in the high 30s. Winds could gust to 22 miles per hour and new rainfall of up to half an inch is possible. Wednesday's forecast is much the same with showers, winds of up to 24 miles per hour and a high near 47. Wednesday night, expect showers mainly before 11, a low of 42 and continuing winds. Wednesday's rainfall total could be about one inch. In the greater Lake Tahoe area, a winter storm warning has been issued until 4 a.m. Wednesday due to heavy snow and high winds, including gusts up to 100 miles per hour on ridgetops. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe, up to four inches of new snow could fall, mainly before 1 a.m., with a low of 22. Wednesday, winds are expected to subside. Tahoe will see snow before 4 p.m., then rain and snow, and a high of 37. Up to two inches of new snow is possible. Rain and snow are likely Wednesday evening, then a chance of rain and snow, a low of 29, and winds around 10 miles per hour. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. Tonight in Sacramento and Woodland, showers and thunderstorms, a low around 47, and winds gusting to 22 miles per hour. Wednesday, expect showers and a high near 52, with wind gusts up to 31 miles per hour. Half an inch of rain is possible. Wednesday night, winds will continue and showers are likely, with a low around 48. Less than a tenth of an inch of rain is expected Wednesday night. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. What exactly defines a recession, and is the United States experiencing one? If we aren't in a recession now, are we likely to be in one later? 
These questions and others are posed by KVMR's Paul Emery in today's conversation with economist Gary Zimmerman. Here's a hint. The answers aren't clear-cut. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. I got a very basic question for you first, Gary. What is a recession? Well, Paul, let me try and quickly describe what a recession is and isn't. Uh, Official designations of a recession are made by the National Bureau of Economic Research, or called the NBER, and that's a private, nonprofit, nonpartisan research organization. Uh, Recessions are are often described as a period of economic contraction when the output of the economy actually falls over a period of time. Uh, Most recessions um, have lasted six months to a year or sometimes longer. Um, the NBER does wait to determine when a recession starts and ends until they have, you know, actual good data measuring conditions of the overall economy, like gross domestic product, payroll employment gains, um, unemployment rates, production and income data, and other indicators that give a wide overview of the economy's health and direction. Well, Gary, did the economy fall into a recession in 2022? Well, Paul, based on the NBER's process for analyzing recessions and the recent 2022 data, I don't think the economy will be designated as a recession in 2022. Uh, While GDP growth was negative in the first half of 2022, the economy added four and a half million payroll jobs in 2022, and that's just a huge increase. You know, and although, you know, payroll growth was slower in the fourth quarter, the economy was still adding jobs at a very rapid pace. It it added an average of almost 250,000 jobs in the last three months of 2022. That would be rapid job growth, even in a period of expansion. So, you know, moreover, you know, if we look the strong look at the strong jobs numbers, we also see that the unemployment rate fell from 3.7 to 3.5 percent of the civilian labor force by the end of December 2022. And so, you know, you have an unemployment rate that's you know fallen to or noticeably well below the full employment rate. So, you know, and you have another we've seen another you know string of long, you know, important, you know, strength in the labor market numbers. Um, wages were increasing in the fourth, four and a half, five percent range over the past year, you know, and more evidence of tight labor market conditions, you know, lots, you know, over 10 million job openings. Um, so those are, you know, also factors contributing into that designation. So the labor market remains strong, Gary, but what about gross domestic product? How fast did it continue to grow over the year? Paul, let's look at what the Fed policymakers were projecting uh, in December for GDP growth. The uh, policymakers recently projected that the economy would grow at a slow rate of only half a percent annual rate for 2022, and that makes it a relatively weak year of output growth. Um, you know, that's you know in contrast to the very strong labor market data and other some other indicators we saw um, suggesting that the economy didn't fall into a recession last year. Remember, in a recession, we might expect the economy to be losing 100 to 200,000 jobs a month. But in 2022, the economy added more than 200,000 payroll jobs every month. So, Gary, why was the Federal Reserve raising interest rates in 2022 to slow the economy? Paul, the Fed's job is to attain maximum employment and a low and stable inflation rate. So, basically two goals. 
In March 2022, the Fed started to raise interest rates rapidly to slow economic growth to try and bring down the spike in inflation following the pandemic and the supply chain problems were happening worldwide. Uh, during last year, the Fed increased its uh, target short-term interbank interest rate from near zero to the four and a quarter, four and a half percent range by year end. And those increases obviously affect the economy over time. And I have no doubt that the four plus percent increase in the Fed's target interest rate has had an impact in slowing down output growth in the hot labor market and will slow the inflation rate over time. And the question is, you know, when and, and how much? Um, one major challenge for the Fed is that there are lags between when it starts raising interest rates and when the economy slows, and that can take months. And there are lags between the time when they raise interest rates and inflation slows, and that takes even longer. Uh, so they kind of have moving targets and responses, and they need to be able to react to how the economy and consumers and businesses, financial markets and inflation expectations are changing and moving. And, you know, so that's uh, a lot, a lot to do. And how much have the inflation numbers changed, Gary? What do the most recent numbers show us? Well, we are seeing that in the last half of 2022, the year-over-year -year inflation rates have started to, to, to fall or decline. Uh, for example, the Consumer Price Index, or CPI, for all items um, had been increasing at a year-over-year -year annual rate of 9% in June, uh, with you know, food and energy inflation rising the fastest. And of course, this rate of inflation and costs affects everyone. Uh, however, by November, that inflation rate was still high, but had fallen to 7.1%. Um, Year-end inflation data for the CPI will be released uh, later this week, so be watching for that inflation update. Let's uh, move forward. And what is likely to happen in 2023, uh, as you see it? What are the big banks and economic forecasters expecting? Well, Paul, the forecasts seem to be kind of a mixed bag, with some forecasters expecting a mild recession, a few expecting worse, um, in large part because of higher interest rates. And for the same reason, other forecasters are expect a, another year of slow expansion. Um, so we are seeing layoffs in tech and other areas of the economy. Big ones announced, I think, in banking this week. Um, and that, you know, that's a sign of risk and slower growth ahead likely as well. I'm inclined to side with the more optimistic forecasters who are expecting slow growth to continue. And that's as long as the Fed doesn't have to push up interest rates um, even higher or faster than they're expecting to do. You know, other risks to the forecast are large and un unpredictable, like the, you know, the Russia's war on Ukraine, um, energy prices, COVID, another round of COVID and supply chain shocks. You know, another risk is we don't have some catastrophic debt ceiling or government spending event that would cause a default on the national debt. So lo lots of risks out there for the forecast as well. Well, Gary, that's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks and see uh, how things are moving. Okay. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Federal Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. In today's Money Matters commentary, Mark Kuniberti looks back at 2022 and the confluence of government decisions he believes led us to our current inflation situation and continuing stock market downturn.
Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. The year 2022, no doubt, was a year that many stock investors would like to forget. Unlike many of the previous crashes of the last few decades, the crash of 2022 has been prolonged and severe and is indeed continuing to this day. That said, I can comfortably say this crash is very, very different. Previous crashes were caused by a variety of reasons, including, but not limited to, in an overindulgence in financial assets, irrational exuberance in stocks, and the bursting of various economic bubbles. The current market crash, however, finds its roots in rising prices, of which we know as inflation. It has been over four decades since we have seen inflationary rates of this magnitude. Previous stock crashes were addressed by increasing liquidity in the system. This means the Central Bank of the United States, known as the Federal Reserve, printed up lots of cash and handed it out where they saw fit. Although it is a well-known fact printing up massive amounts of cash by a central bank can lead to inflation, the Fed had a long history of rescuing previous economic calamities by printing up dollars without seeing the resulting inflation. The reasons for this are hotly debated and we won't cover them here today. Just know that the Fed had apparently learned over many previous economic rescues that they thought they could get away with flooding the system with cash without causing prices to subsequently rise. These repeated rescues of markets by the Fed was soon known to Wall Street traders as the Fed put. It was now believed that if severe market crashes started to materialize, the Feds would simply do what they had always done and what had always worked print up copious amounts of cash and fling them into the financial system. Then came the COVID shutdowns and the markets turned down hard in the March of 2020 because of the shutdowns. Once again, the Fed fired up the printing presses. What was different this time around, however, was the amounts of cash the Fed created dwarfed any amounts previously attempted, handing it out not only to companies and the banking system, but to consumers as well. They increased the amount of cash in the system by a estimated and eye-popping 40 percent of all the cash in U.S. existence, an unprecedented monetary intervention to be sure, with copious amounts of cash flowing out of Washington to address any and all COVID-related problems. The feds in Washington apparently guessed they could print up whatever was needed and again not cause inflation. After all, they had gotten away with it so many times before. When the worst of COVID had subsided, the economies of the world began their reopening process. Supply lines, however, were all but seized up and were extremely slow and restarting. At the same time, consumers, pent up for months and now flush with all this government cash, soon flooded into the streets and onto planes, trains, and automobiles to escape the confines of COVID isolation. Then when a spike in demand by consumers met a severely restricted supply line and huge amounts of newly printed cash sloshing around everywhere, prices had nowhere to go but up, and up they went, adding to the inflationary wildfires. Employers were finding it difficult to fill badly needed job openings to service the increasing demand, which only made the situation that much worse. When prices rose, the Feds mistakenly thought inflation was transitory or temporary and did nothing to address it. As inflation continued to soar, however, the Feds finally acted by raising interest rates and the stock markets of the world subsequently began to crater. Company earnings then started to decline as the consumer pulled back due to increasing inflation and as a result, the stock market decline accelerated. With inflation now heavily entrenched, the Fed realizes it cannot print its way out like it had done so many times before, creating more cash would only exasperate the inflationary wildfires that are incinerating consumer pocketbooks. 
This time around, the Fed put is no longer viable. It would only make a bad situation much, much worse. Ironically, however, despite that fact, Washington is still handing out money by the truckload, about $5 trillion in counting in the last six months alone. Apparently and appallingly, Washington believes it can still print its way out of its problems, even though the Federal Reserve knows otherwise. It is why, in my opinion, until Washington and the Federal Reserve start using the phone lines between the two entities, the economic problems of 2022 will probably continue to be the economic problems of 2023. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. And remember, this newscast expresses my opinion only. It's not meant as an investment advice, suggestion, or a recommendation to buy or sell anything, nor represents the opinion of this radio station, its staff members, or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors, 1979, and California insurance license, OL34249. Our website is moneymanagementradio.com, where everything is free. Our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Cuniberti. That's our newscast for Tuesday, January 10th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Nevada County Citizens for Choice, promoting reproductive justice and equitable reproductive health care access, advocacy, education, with compassionate services for women, men, and teens. Learn more at citizensforchoice.org. And Sierra College Nevada County Campus, offering degrees, certificates, and training for jobs or career, plus courses available in creative writing, sculpture, music, theater, and more. Winter registration is now open online at sierracollege.edu slash you can. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Stay safe, stay warm, and join us Wednesday for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.